what's going on y'all welcome to episode two of uh morning thoughts is i guess what we're calling this thing now i'm calling it an episode i misspoke because you know what if this thing doesn't pick up then we're shutting it down um but you know what we did it we they said we couldn't do it they said we weren't going to get here but last week we had 91 plays on youtube and uh on like spotify and itunes and stuff you know and uh thankful for all 91 of you that listened or or you know the one person that listened 91 times just to really you know really uh hammer it home appreciate you uh and shout out to the thumbs down guy that this this podcast was like i don't know last week's was like 37 minutes long or something 35 minutes long and i posted it to youtube and literally like five or six minutes after i posted it it had a thumbs down on youtube which i guess somebody just like just was not feeling the five minute intro or whatever and you know just decided to give it a thumbs down i imagine i mean i guess it could be a girl you know like shout out to all the bitter young ladies out there too but um i just imagine some guy that works like in sales at you know some auto parts retailer and uh it's just like waiting for youtube videos to get uploaded so that they can give it a thumbs down but maybe that's not the case you know maybe it was it was honest so i don't know why i'm still talking about this i promise i'm not bitter about it at all but i got my coffee and got some new topics ready to talk about last week the um theme of the week which i'm just saying it's the theme of the week i don't know if we're actually gonna rock with that but um Last week, just a couple times, it came up, this this idea of, like, who tells you to feel about you? Like, who who is the one that's telling you how to feel about yourself? And that's the theme we're going with. I read this article last week on Instagram um, about how, or I, I read it on, I think it was on Forbes. It was about Instagram, how Instagram ranks lowest in terms of social media apps um, for mental, like, wellness it has the most cases of anxiety and depression and bullying and just other general uh, bad stuff. And so honestly, not super shocking, but you know, maybe we'll, um, we'll address a little bit of like mental wellness and mental health on social media and get into a couple other things. Um, it's Monday morning. I got up early. I got humbled this morning in my uh, workout. I just got my ass kicked. But you know what? That's good on a Monday. It, it makes it puts me in my place, you know, and uh, starts my Monday off right. So ready to get after it. Um, so last week, you guys heard me talking about a shoot that I did in Dallas. It was a personal shoot. I said that I had done a test um, that I'd spent like I think my, my Monday uh, morning thought last week was that I had spent a thousand dollars on a personal test for my portfolio. And a bunch of people were hitting me up like, you spent a thousand dollars on your portfolio. Like what was that like for prints or for, or for what? And what I, what I mean by that when I say test, um, is that it was a personal shoot that I had put together. It was a test for the models, meaning they weren't getting paid. They were trading for images for their portfolio. I was creating images for my portfolio, but basically I'd spent a thousand dollars, um, or around there to create this personal work on things like studio rental, um, hair and makeup artist, uh, wardrobe, I, I styled and purchased myself and, uh, it wasn't cheap, but I also was trying to bring like a pretty high level, um, production value to the shoot. 
And here's why my morning thought was about why that was worth it and why I think that spending money on things like that as a photographer is more worth it than spending money on things like gear. Gear's the sexy thing to spend money on, right? Like it's something tangible, it's something we can hold. We don't really have to do much. Like it doesn't require any effort from us to buy new gear other than just spending money. And so it's a real easy way, an easy step to feel like you've made progress, that your work has gotten better or will get better. Um, and it's like a kind of like a dopamine boost of like, okay, cool, next level, right? I've leveled up. But it's cost us nothing. It's, it's required zero work on our part, other than maybe, you know, the work to save up for gear. But the, the reason I say that it's really important to spend money on things like personal shoots and why I think that in the end that will have just exponentially more return on investment than gear is that, so I spent $1,000 on, on the shoot and it's, it's, it's likely that the reason I did the shoot in the first place was that there was a gap in my portfolio. So I ended up shooting um, four curve models or plus size models and they were amazing. They were so talented um, and really great. I'm so thankful to have had them. But, um, but I didn't have any of that work in my portfolio and I want my portfolio to be more inclusive and more diverse. And I just needed that work for my portfolio because potentially if somebody was coming to hire me and saw that I was not inclusive or didn't have that type of work in my portfolio, then potentially they, they wouldn't hire me. And so while I spent $1,000 on that shoot, it's possible that that work could be the work that, dis, that makes someone decide to hire me for a $50,000, $100,000 campaign. You never really know. And that $1,000 that I spent, even though that seems like a lot, could potentially just have exponential ROI. So I highly recommend if you're a new photographer, I know it's not sexy. I know it's not fun to spend money on stuff that you can't necessarily have like a tangible result from, I mean, other than the images for your portfolio, which is exciting. Um, it's not necessarily as, as fun to spend money on. Um, it's, it's not a thing that you can spend money on that you can like hold and stuff. Um, but I highly recommend it. Um, hopefully that made sense. <laughs> I highly recommend you investing in your own growth and your own maturity as an artist and the development of your own portfolio as an artist. If you don't shoot personal work or if you're not shooting or constantly creating work that is advancing your portfolio as a creator, then you're going to be stagnant and that will be just super reflective um, in your portfolio. So I highly recommend that. That was my weekend last weekend and my thought behind last week's Monday morning thought. Um, this is, it's, it's Monday morning right now, obviously, and I guess I'll post this on Tuesday. I'm trying to, you know, originally I thought I was going to post these on Friday and so that people, I guess, could listen to them over the weekend. I actually like a podcast on Monday because I think when I'm sitting down at my desk, I like things to listen to while I'm getting work done, especially if I'm doing kind of mindless retouching work. I, so I'm shooting for Mondays, but right now, lately, I've been, I've been recording these on Monday mornings, so they've been coming out on Tuesday, and maybe I'll stick with that just because it's my podcast, and I'll do whatever I want, um, but, you know, if you guys have a, have a different preference or, or want it on another day, let me know. Feel free to comment. I may or may not take it into consideration, but we'll see. Um, so on Tuesday of last week, I turned 31. Um, and that sounds, I don't know. I can't tell if that sounds young or old. I guess it depends on it's relative to how old you are, but I realized that 
I, I have a lot more younger followers than I thought, a lot more younger people that are looking up to my work, I guess, and listening to my morning thought, which isn't, shouldn't really be surprising. I, the reason I do morning thoughts is because I want people to be, be, I don't know if educated is the right word, but to be informed and hopefully to help people not make the same mistakes that I've made in the past or learn from some of the stuff that I've learned, um, which is how I learned as an artist, whether I was a musician or a photographer or whatever. And so it shouldn't really be surprising to me, I guess, that that they're younger. I think I just, in my mind, I feel super young and I consider myself super young. Even, it's weird how like, even when I see people on TV, they always look older than I do. Like even like college football players or like, um, uh, like, like reality TV people, like they always look older than I am, even if they're like, you know, six or seven years younger. I don't know if that's just like a perception thing, but you know, I still feel super young, but I had a couple thoughts around turning 31. You know, when I turned 30, I posted this on, on Instagram in one of my posts that there was like this sadness when I turned 30 that I couldn't really explain. And looking back on it now, you know, when you're in your teens and your twenties and you have birthdays, like you live in this state of sort of like eternal youth, right? Like you're always, you're always not exactly as old as you want to be, I think, or at least that's kind of how my mindset has always been. And I, and I always felt like I was going to be young, like in my twenties, I guess is what I consider young. And then when you enter your thirties, there's this like mindset shift, or at least there was for me that like, okay, I don't have infinite time left. Like I'm, and granted, like, I know that I'm still super young. I'm not trying to say like I'm an old guy or anything, but like, I know that, that time is my most valuable resource and that it's, you know, it is limited. And I think you start to think about that more when you enter your thirties, because you spent so you spent your whole life thinking about your twenties, I think, or at least I had. And so there's this bit of sadness, but the cool thing I think about turning 31 is what I realized was you spend your whole twenties trying to figure out who you are. You're trying new things. You're testing your voice. You're trying new hobbies and new career paths and learning different. Like if you're, if you're in college or you're taking different courses and learning different areas of study and areas of study, I've never said that before in my life, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and you're just trying to figure it out. And I think when you turn, when you get in your thirties, you've got a pretty good solidified notion of who you are as a person and what you want to do or what you like, what you dislike. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm just saying like, you've had enough time, I think at that point to, to have figured it out a little bit. And it feels really good to be in that position. I think that's one of the coolest things about getting older is knowing what you like and don't like and just being okay with that, you know? And, um, I feel like in my thirties, I spent my whole, I spent my whole life, but my twenties, especially building the foundation of something. So whether it was in music or, I mean, looking back on it now, like I was a touring musician for eight years. Um, and then I was, I've been a writer since college, um, studied creative writing in college and rhetoric and writing actually. And, you know, have been a photographer and director for a number of years. And what I realized now is I've spent my 20s cultivating this foundation of being a professional artist, like being a full-time freelance artist. 
And that sounds silly, but it's like, that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And so what's cool about my thirties is that now I can actually take that foundation and build on it. Like that's what your thirties are good for. Like, you know who you are, you know what you want to do now build, you know, create something that is meaningful and lasting out of that foundation. And so honestly, like, I'm just super stoked to be, to be 31 and to like know a little bit more about where I am. I mean, I don't have, I certainly don't have all the answers. I certainly don't even know exactly like where I want to end up, whether it's in creative direction or in photography or in whatever it may be. But I feel really, really confident about where I am today and where I am now. So that's my thought on getting older. I think age is relative to how you feel and, um, you know, do the things that make you feel young. And, uh, oh, I also posted, um, in that post on, on my birthday, I posted about not necessarily like for the longest time on Instagram, I haven't really known what my voice is. And that's a really interesting topic as well. I think we all have, we have our artistic vision and artistic style visually that we post on Instagram. If you're, especially if you're a photographer and that's a, that's a really important thing. But I also think like our voice and the way we, we write captions and like, and share our ideas is also a huge part of what our voice is. And if you've been following me on Instagram for a number of years, you might know that I, I started on Instagram doing this hashtag captions by writers. I started this community of writers on Instagram to share their work. And then eventually that turned into a project, which was the first ever Instagram novel where during November of, I think it was 2014, maybe I wrote, um, the, I wrote, so, so November is national novel writing month, uh, NaNoWriMo for short. I tried it before, failed miserably. Um, and so in 2014, I decided, okay, I'm going to write like an Instagram novel, like a photo novel. So every day for 30 days during the month of November, I wrote one chapter a day, like just off the cuff, like I hadn't planned anything, but I had shot images, um, that were a sequence in a story and combined the images with the writing. And that uh, project got featured on, on Instagram. And the interesting thing about that, that feature was by the time it got featured, it was like a year later. It was like December of 2015. And at that point, I had been doing captions by writers and like creative writing posts for like, I don't know, two or three years at that point. And honestly, I was becoming, um, I was like actually pursuing commercial photography full time. And so I wanted to post less like Instagram-y type photos that were more abstract that I could write to and post more of my commercial work, which was a lot of, one second, which was a lot of like commercial fashion and commercial, became commercial fitness work and portrait work. And, and so it became a little bit harder to write to. And so since then, honestly, like I've had this sort of creative, um, I don't want to say confusion, but, but a little bit of, of not knowing what direction I should take my, my voice in, or, or at least the writing portion of Instagram in. And of course, like I'm way overthinking this, like you don't really have to think this way at all, but you know, I, I, part of me just gets so tired of like this sort of corny, you know, Drake lyrics, or obviously that's like the cliche example, but you know, like the, the real short, like like phrase on Instagram where you post a photo and it's like push it to the limit or yeah, that's a, that would be a terrible one. But you know, just, just like those little cheesy like phrases or whatever. I just think that 
there's, there's more of an opportunity on Instagram if you have somebody's attention to actually say something of value. And, and so like, I've kind of been trying to share kind of like I do on morning thoughts, a little more honest, like insight, but that doesn't necessarily always <laughs> uh, perform super well or be received super well or is received super well. But, you know, I think that that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, I want to provide insight to people and to younger creators and artists and be honest, because I feel like there's so much just kind of corny, fake bullshit on Instagram. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing people feeling depressed and anxious when they look at it, that I would rather be a voice of like authenticity and, and a voice of honesty, hopefully on the platform, even if it doesn't particularly do super well or, or, you know, people don't read it all or whatever it may be. And so where I am right now, I'm just, I'm honestly just kind of cool with that. And that's just what I'm rocking with. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but I'm just going to keep going in that direction and, uh, it'll work or it won't. So that's where I'm at on, I think on Wednesday I posted, Oh, I think I posted something about Jake and Logan Paul um, being, I realized that they're like, they're basically like Johnny Knoxville and Jackass was when I was a kid. Like they're these like total idiots. They're doing stupid shit on television, AKA these days, YouTube, you know, that all the young kids think is awesome and whatever. I think a, a few people messaged me in response to this. And, you know, a lot of people, um, agreed or thought it was funny or whatever, but some people were like, I think that the Pauls are like worse people and I'm not in any sort of position to, to judge or, or say whether they are or not. Although I absolutely see that as valid. Um, but I also think that it's just like, we're not viewing it from the lens of, you know, an eight or 10 year old or whatever. Uh, you know, like we were when, or like I was when I was a kid and Jackass was on TV. Um, by the way, funny side note. So when I was, you know, that was like the cool thing when I was a kid, right? And all my friends were skaters, like skate culture was huge. Blink-182 skate culture, that whole thing, like punk rock, that was big when I was a kid. And I was like, I was always like the tall, lanky kid and <laughs> in my crew. And I never, I could never land an ollie. And the ollie is like the essential foundation of every single skateboarding trick. And I couldn't do one. And so I was basically like in my crew, I was basically, I ended up just being the kid with the camera that filmed all the, all the stunts. Cause I had a friend that would just do all the, the dumb shit that Johnny Knoxville did. Like we were just idiots, but he would, you know, go like jump into bushes and like prank people, like knock on their door and all that stuff. Um, and I was always the kid with the camera because I couldn't do any of like the skate tricks. And I think I also like subconsciously knew at the time that like, I don't really want to be that kid. That's like the idiot making an ass of themselves. And, you know, I don't know if I was that self-aware at the time, but luckily I just, that was my role and uh, I could never, could never land an Ollie, which still a little bitter about to this day, because I don't know, Ollie's, you know, that would be cool. That'd be a cool like party trick. Uh, all the skaters out there, if it, any skaters are listening or just like, you're, you're an idiot, but, um, oh yeah. So that was my initial thought. But then after that, I posted, uh, I said, basically like the world doesn't need any more like bathtub full of milk and flowers photo shoots. Like we've seen enough, like no more. 
And I, honestly, it was, it was, well, it was a joke, but it was 100% serious because I'm part of this Facebook group of mostly like amateur local photographers and kind of prosumers and hobbyists. And literally, I kid you not, once a week, if, if not more than once a week, for the past three years, I've seen people post this photo of, you know, some, some girl or guy in a bathtub full of like this sort of white viscous milky material with like flowers and I'm just like I'm just so over it it's so cliche and it's so overdone and somebody messaged me like yeah but and it's, it was a photographer that I actually really respect and and you know admire his work and he was like yeah but where do you draw the line like who's to say that's cliche and all these other images like all these other fitness images um are not cliche and I totally agreed with him that there are so many cliche images and I'm not saying I'm above cliche images because a lot of times in, in advertising or whatever, you, you have to show performance and a lot of those images end up looking the same. However, I'll make a couple points. First, this is like an art concept that no one's hiring you to shoot. People are just regurgitating this same concept over and over and over again without elevating it or elaborating on it or whatever. It's just like one of those things that you cross off the box when you're a young photographer and you haven't really like thought through a concept. You've just seen something and you're like, oh, let me recycle that. And we all do that when we're young creators. I A lot of my work when I first started was recycled. It's still today recycled. I think we all recycle things creatively, hopefully. Um, by taking bits and pieces of different ideas and elevating them. I mean, there's no like new original work necessarily. And, and so like, I'm not knocking that sort of um, recycling, creative recycling. However, when you take something and literally just copy it is when I have more of an issue with that. And that, I mean, I think that's my first point is that I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing work. I'm actually trying to elevate, hopefully, people from doing work that they want to do. And by like pushing them, I hope to think about concepts further and take it uh, one step further or two steps further. And hopefully, hopefully that comes through. And then the second point is, it was a joke. Um, I'm not 100% serious about everything that I say on Morning Thoughts. Sometimes they're they're, I mean, most of the time they're, they're serious and they're, they're what I'm actually thinking and what I believe. And sometimes they're what I believe, but they're also just meant to be a joke. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, and I think that's on Thursday, I posted something of, to the effect of like, or no, it was on Friday. I said, like, be careful who you take advice from. You should audit who you take advice from, whether that's like, enlightened Instagram models or YouTube CEOs or Kanye West or whoever it may be like don't like just because these people have followings I feel like and maybe I'm a total hypocrite but I feel like on social you know anyone that gets a platform thinks that all of a sudden they're a motivational speaker or they're some like guru that gets to speak on you know things that they have no business speaking on and I'm sure that I fall into that category a lot or into that trap, I think a lot. But at the same time, I try to stick to the things that I think I know about, um, which a lot of the times is my, you know, 10 to 15 years of being a professional artist and being a professional creator and what that looks like. And then, you know, when I, when I get outside of it and start talking about, 
I don't know, whatever it is, politics, sneakers, whatever, like probably don't have the best opinion on that. Although I do have an opinion on those things. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think it's just really important to audit whoever, whoever it is you're getting advice from. Somebody replied to that morning thought with this quote that I thought was really good. And it was, um, I'm trying to remember who it was from, Carl Jung. And he, the quote was, be something to the effect of like, be wary of all the wisdom you do not earn. And I think that's like basically the wisdom that doesn't come from experience, you're getting secondhand. So like be cautious of it because it may or may not be true for you. And I think that was a really cool quote. Shout out to uh, Matt McCloskey for, for sharing that with me. I'd never heard that before. So that's that. Um, let's see how we're doing on time. All right, 26 minutes in. We are going to, I say we like I'm some radio DJ and I've got a whole team of people here. I'm going to take questions from my Instagram post. By the way, shout out to everyone that asked me questions. This podcast wouldn't exist um, without you guys doing that. So you guys are, are the real ones. Um, all right, so the first question I got was strategies for going full time. Now, for, before I even answer this question, I get this question all the time, but before I even answer this question, I want to I pose a different question to you. And the question is, like, I want you to ask yourself honestly, do you really want to be full-time? And I'm not saying, like, do you want to be, like, in your ideal world, is that, is that what you want? Because it obviously is. I'm saying, like, take a good hard look at the reality of being a full-time freelance photographer or a full-time freelance writer or artist or whatever it may be. And actually like get to know what that life is like. I think people, you know, who have nine to fives that they don't like, but shoot photography on the weekends think that, Oh man, it'd be so fun to be a full-time photographer because I love when I get to shoot photography, but they don't actually think about, okay, what does it mean to be a full-time photographer and, or, or a freelancer? And let me just give you like a little bit of glimpse of the reality of that. So like when you have a nine to five, like you have job security for the most part, you have steady income, you have, you know, somebody telling you for the most part what to do and how to do it. And I know that's probably what you don't want, which is why you want to be a freelance photographer. But when you are a freelance photographer, you wake up every day and you're your own boss. So you set your own schedule. You basically are motivated to work or you're not. And the problem with that is there are certain personality types. I believe this 100%. There are certain personality types that are not meant to be freelance photographers. They don't have the discipline and don't have the motivation to treat a freelance artistic career as a full-time job, you know, like I wake up early, I get to my desk early and I work, um, as hard as I can. And I work all day. And, you know, there are days where some are slower than others, but for the most part, I'm either sitting at my desk, either working on marketing or editing or whatever it is, or I'm out shooting and trying to create new work that I can then edit and market. I think that there are certain personality types that aren't cut out for that, that aren't suited for that. And I think you have to take a good hard look at, are you willing to go through seasons of super busy, like stressful work where a bunch of jobs come in at once? And more likely, are you willing to go through super dry, 
down seasons where no one's hitting up your phone, no one's sending you an email, no one's hiring you for work. And you have to make ends meet, pay the bills, and also create on top of that stress. And I think it's just a really eye-opening thing when people jump into that and haven't experienced that before. So that's my two cents before I even give you advice on how to go full-time. And what go, my, my, my first piece of advice that goes hand-in-hand hand with that is find a part-time. Um, so I know you've just gotten out of your full-time, but I also think that if you can have a part-time when you're first starting out of not like a part-time job doing something else, I mean, maybe you can do that too, but if you can find a part-time doing photography that will give you a steady income of a few hundred bucks a month, that'll go a long way. Even if it's stuff that you don't want to do, it'll likely be stuff that you don't want to do, whether it's shooting for social or shooting product photography for websites or e-com or whatever that may be like that's pro or headshots. Like that's probably what you're going to end up doing part-time to pay the bills when you first start out. And like, I respect that. And I think that's a really good idea to be honest with you because it just alleviates the pressure of always having to pay the bills via, you know, the creative work that you want to do. So I think doing that part-time and then allowing yourself time on the weekends or during the week that you're not doing that to create the work that you want to create um, is really helpful. And that's my second tip is like, it's just going to take a lot of building your portfolio in order to go full time as a, as a photographer, because it just means that you have to hone your voice to such a specific place that people immediately know who you are, what you do, what your style is, what you shoot and are willing to hire you for that. And generally that means that your portfolio is so not diverse in terms of genre, but I think like deep or, or yeah, I guess like deep is, is probably more important than wide um, in terms of your genre that they can see you can shoot in all different types of environments and shoot your thing no matter what the subject is or whatever it is. So I would just say, you know, keep shooting, keep building your work, and that's how you're going to get hired. Um, finally, um, spend a lot of your money and time on marketing and networking. That's how you're going to get gigs. Like people hire who they know. That's just the that's just the honest truth of it. So the more people you can have a personal relationship, whether that's in portfolio reviews or face to face meetings or coffees or emails or like even emails is is better than nothing. Um, the better. And so um, try to network. Also try to get in certain advertising places like resource databases, whether that's um, like database books that go out like workbook or ad edge or found or whatever it may be, or on databases like workbooks online or wonderful machine or whatever it may be. Put yourself in places where people can find you and can find your work. And it's expensive, but it's something that, that as a full-time professional photographer, you need to be spending money on. And then, yeah, finally, just, just be patient. You know, that's like the, that's the ultimate thing about transitioning from part-time to full-time is like, maybe you're ready for it and maybe you're not. And if you're not, just be patient that you will get there when the time is right. I guarantee you when your work is so good and you're so good that people are talking about it and seeing it that 
you'll get hired. You'll people will be coming to you, like begging you to hire, wait, begging you to work for them. They'll hire you to work for them. That's, that's what I was trying to say. And when that happens, like you'll know that it's the right time. Um, you'll know that like you won't need another job because you'll be busy. And even the biggest photographers have some of those down moments. But um, I think the better your work becomes, the more it'll be obvious it's time to switch to full-time. So that was a long-winded way of answering that question, but hopefully that was helpful. Next question. Um, Kim asked, thoughts on metric-free social media? It's funny that this idea, I think, has been popular in the past week or two just because social... Uh, because Kanye mentioned it. And, you know, I posted this article last week about how Instagram has like the most averse effect on our mental wellness uh, in terms of depression and anxiety and bullying and all that stuff. And there is this idea that a metric free social media will help that. And I think a little bit, uh, I think that'll help maybe a little bit. I think that it gets rid of the sort of social positioning of follower counts. But at the end of the day, like, I think I feel the most anxiety just by seeing other people doing, you know, whether it's doing cool stuff or it's working for clients that I want to work for or whatever. And that doesn't necessarily get solved by metric free social media. Um, I also think that potentially like I could see there being a social media that, doesn't have external metrics. Like you don't see how many, how many followers somebody else has, but you can see how many followers you have because, uh, and how many likes you get, but other people can't necessarily see how many likes you get. I mean, I think that would totally upend and screw the, the whole influencer community, which maybe should happen. But I think that businesses need to know those metrics for their own benefit. And, I think it helps us as artists know, is my work resonating? You know, what, what type of work is doing better than others? What type of work do people respond to more than others? And that's super helpful as a creator and as an artist, you know, I, I mean, I think you should be creating the stuff that you want to create regardless of what other people think, but at the same time, it's helpful to know commercially, like what is, what are people responding to? And so I could see a, a social media where, uh, a platform where people aren't seeing those numbers except for you. And maybe, maybe that helps. And honestly, maybe that would make the influencer bubble a little more honest because like you, you would be in charge of sharing those numbers with the company instead of just like the inflated numbers being shown externally. So I don't know. That's a great question, Kim. And uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. So feel free to, comment on this YouTube video or send me a DM or tweet at me, Philip Etzel. And uh, let's, let's have that conversation because I'm interested to hear someone else's thoughts. Um, Nash asked, how does an artist stay creative through times of creative drought or block? That's a great question. I think that everything, everything is cyclical for the artist. Like I think that we always go through times of like lots of inspiration and creation. And then I think on the tail end of that, we're kind of, especially if we've been pushing ourselves, we're super exhausted and we're super just uninspired a lot of times. And we go through this sort of like creative block where nothing is really motivating us to create and nothing, uh, nothing is really like inspiring us. And I think honestly that happens 
99% of the time because we continue to look within our comfort zone of our art to, to create. And what I mean by that is like, if you create the same type of thing over and over again, the same type of shoot, the same type of lighting, the same type of environment or whatever it is, like that's going to get super boring to you. And you're going to see more images from that. And you're going to think like, oh, I need to create more. And you're just not, you're not going to want to do that. And so honestly, every time I've gotten out of creative block is when I've gotten outside of my comfort zone. So thinking about a shooting style that I've never done before or a shooting technique that I've never done before, generally it's something that really like intimidates me. But when I do it, and even though like I'm nervous or anxious about it or whatever, when I do it, there is that immediate excitement and rush of creation, like that sort of like creator joy that you feel um, when you create something new and you're like experimenting. And that always pulls me out of a creative block. And I highly recommend that you use that as a method to like regain your excitement um, when you've kind of plateaued on your on your style or your ability or whatever it is, like try to get outside of that. And that's how artists like mature. Like that's how you get better as an artist is you keep trying new things and you keep leveling up and like growing. And that's, that should be the natural in, uh, sort of incline of the artist. And I think as soon as you hit that plateau, then you're not growing anymore and your art feels stagnant because of that. Jorge, Free work versus paid work. I have, not surprisingly, opinions on this as well. So I think do any work that you think you can leverage. So, well, the, within like the scope of what you want to do. But like, let's say, let's say somebody comes to you and, you know, like for me, I, I, a dream of mine is to shoot ESPN's body issue. Like I love the, I love the sort of conceptual nature of it. I love the graphic nature of it. It's right up my alley in terms of what I shoot in terms of like motion and fitness and all that sort of thing. And I would love to shoot that. I would shoot that for free, even though it would take a lot of my time and a lot of my effort and energy and probably cost me a lot of money, but I would do it. Not that they would ever ask me to do that for free. Um, but ESPN, if you're listening, I'll do it for free. Um, and so that's a case where I know that I would work for free and it would be worth it to work for free. Now, I think that there are also, there are also clients that come to you. For example, before I really got into fitness work, there was a client that came to me. She had a new company. It was like a Lululemon type brand and didn't have a big budget, but wanted, but wanted some really beautiful images. And I like wanted to get into fitness work at the time. And I said, okay, cool. Like I will do this shoot for X amount of dollars. It was like, it was like almost nothing, but I want to have creative control over the whole thing. So I can create something from my portfolio that could potentially get me hired for a much bigger gig. Again, this goes back to investing in your portfolio. And she was like, totally cool with that. Gave me total freedom and creative, like, total control. And I created something that I like love and that still have in my portfolio. This was a couple years ago. And it allowed me to work for bigger clients just because I had that work in my portfolio. So I think that if somebody's coming to you and you think that you can leverage that opportunity, then it might be worth it to do free work. However, 
when somebody comes to you and wants you to do work that you may not do for your portfolio, you're not particularly excited about, then by all means charge your fee. Um, and especially like, even if that's a high fee, like, especially if you don't want to do it, like I, I, a lot of times if I don't want to do a job, but the client has a budget, I will raise my fee, um, to kind of account for the fact that I can't really use this for anything. And I could probably spend that time doing things that I would rather do or shoot, shoot things I would rather shoot. But if you're going to pay me for my time, then I'm going to make it worthwhile for me. And that sounds selfish, but as a creator, like your time is you're being hired for your talent and for your time. And those things have value. And that's almost where you should charge more. So like, it's funny because I could, I could literally for one client shoot at like a super high day rate. And then at the same time, shoot for another client for free and like justify doing both because of the work that I'm creating and in, in the ability I will have to leverage that work. Um, also don't, don't, this should go without saying, but don't ever do anything for exposure. I guarantee you, you will never get the amount of exposure that it's worth for the work that you'll put into it. Unless you think you can leverage those photos, like I said, but rarely does that ever happen. So, um, last question. I'll take one more question here. I think we're, I think we're like 40 minutes in or something. Um, Steven said, Promos, all caps, exclamation point. Steven, um, that's not a question. That's just you yelling at my eyeballs. But I will answer that nonetheless. I'm assuming when you said promos, what you're asking is, tell me about promos. What do you do for promos? Um, so as, as photographers, we need to get our work out there and advertise and that's generally in the form uh, i mean there are different ways of marketing but they're it's generally in the form of e-promos and print promos e-promos are emails i do a monthly newsletter that goes out with new work that i've created over the past month um, also a couple things that i've been into that have nothing to do with photography like albums i've been listening to or shows i've been watching or apps i've been using or whatever it may be um, just because I think it's important to like give a glimpse of who you are as a person. And then for print promos, I do those. Well, a lot of photographers do those once a year. I try to do it once a year. Um, I actually try to shoot for two times a year this year. I think last year I did, I did a magazine and then like one or two flyers. And then this year I've done, I think maybe a flyer, but I've been slacking on it this year. And I definitely need to send another one soon. But that's how I kind of think about promos, print and digital. And, you know, it's one of those things that like, you're going to spend a lot of time on it. You're going to spend a lot of money on it if it's a print promo. And that stuff could immediately end up in the trash. You know, you never know. But it also could come across somebody's desk at the right time when they have a job for somebody just like you. And, you know, it could be fortuitous in that way. And that's just, that's kind of the idea behind marketing is just like, trying to get your name in front of somebody so often that they remember who you are and your name when the opportunity arises. So let me see what time we got here. Nice, 45 minutes. Y'all, we did it again. I swear though, if we get, so last week we got 91 plays. This week, if we get 90 plays, I'm this thing, I'm burning it to the ground. I'm, it's going in the trash. You'll never hear of it again. So 
tell your friends and all we gotta do is get 92 plays and I'll come back the next week. And if you think like, well, that's harsh, well, uh, maybe you should have shared it with your friends. So please, um, we'd love for you guys to share. We'd love for you guys to, if you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, um, comment, share, I don't smash the like or whatever YouTubers say. Uh, if you're on the podcast, then um, subscribe to the podcast. It's going to be on iTunes and Spotify, but you already know that because you're listening to it on some platform. And um, yeah, have a great day. Cheers, y'all.